Uh, my name is Josh. As Amanda said, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so fired up to be teaching today. Before I jump in, would you guys just stand to your feet at both locations? Would you just stand to your feet? You're like, oh, it's one of these guys already, really? I know, I know. Stand your feet over at Boyden Church at home. Welcome. I mean, you can stand to your feet as well. Number one, if you love your church, if you love Jesus, and you love a good three-day weekend, can we lift up a shout of praise in this place? Over at Boyden too. Come on, Boyden. You lift up a shout. Awesome. Come on. Church, Jesus, in a three-day weekend. Give somebody a high five. Tell them happy Labor Day weekend. You guys can have a seat. Come on. I'm fired up. I don't know what you're going to do for Labor Day. I hope you enjoy not laboring and hanging out with friends, eating good food. Man, it is so exciting to see you here. We're in the midst of a series called Made for More. If you missed week one, Pastor Scott launched us into the series in such an incredible way. You need to go back and listen to that, right? Catch up with us. That's gojourneychurch.com uh, backslash. Check out our messages. All of that tab is on there uh, online. You need to go back and, and listen to that message. It really sets up the rest of this series and as Amanda said, I'm, I'm here today, I'm going to be speaking on the idea of community, of community. I think this is such an important topic for us to lean into. And Pastor Scott said something so interesting last week. He said, we all have this thing hardwired inside of us that we desire to be part of something bigger. That phrase kind of grabbed my heart and grabbed my attention. And especially the first part of that phrase, being part of how many of you know you've been hardwired to be part of, to belong? How many of you know that, that that is in your DNA, that there's something inside of us that actually craves to be known and to know, to belong, to actually be part of something bigger? Absolutely, I agree with that. We are made for more. But what I want to talk about today is that first half of the sentence, part of. Because I think it's so important that we understand that we belong to a community of people that are encouraging us, that are breathing life into us, that are building us up, especially nowadays. Man, we need to be more connected than ever. We, we, we had this thing called social isolation, right? Or to be socially isolated or socially distanced. And I agree with Pastor Chris Hodges when he said that was probably the worst thing we could have called it. We should have said we were physically distant, not socially distant. We were physically separated, but not socially. We needed to be more connected than ever. But somehow this idea creeped in and we were all of a sudden very distant and apart from each other. And a lot of us felt the longing for community. I'll never forget when we reopened these doors after COVID, we had a prayer gathering in, in this room and, and it was one of our first prayer gatherings and we tried to follow all the rules and the mandates and stuff. And, but I'll never forget, actually me and, and uh, Pastor Amanda, we were out in the lobby. This little elderly woman came in and she's been coming to church here for a long time and serves faithfully. And she came in the front doors and broke down into tears. And I broke down into tears. And then Amanda broke down into tears. And we were all crying and hugging and praying. And here's the crazy thing. She just said, I miss this place so much. I miss this community so much because we've been hardwired with that desire for it. And again, this shouldn't surprise us because our God in Genesis 126 says something so fascinating. I want you to see this. It's going to be up on the screens for you. This is Genesis 126. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That might be new language for some of you. Some of you are like, wait, 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 hold the phone. Who's the us and who's the our? 
our God is, is three in one. This is a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see God speaking creation into existence, and then the Spirit of God, it says, hovering over the waters. We see this beautiful picture laid out of a Trinitarian God, a three-in-one. And I don't have time to explain all that this morning. Trust me, we'd be here all day. But I, I find it fascinating. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And I, and I don't just think that's the Trinitarian sense of how we've been made, right? We've been made uh, mind, body, and spirit, mind, body, soul, however you'd want to say those things. I believe that to be very true. But I think God was giving us a hint here. He says, let's make man in our image, in our likeness, we are a community. Our God is a community within himself, and we've been made with this longing, this desire deep within our DNA, I believe, for that community. Are you with me? <laughs> Dr. Uh, Kurt Thompson, this is MD at Biola University, he wrote uh, The Anatomy of the Soul, where he talks about interpersonal neurobiology. This is fascinating. I love this. This is a little article that he wrote recently. He said, there are perhaps many reasons whereby which we have come to where we are in history. One thing seems to be rather evident, and that is that we love knowing things. He talks about this age of knowledge and knowing things. And he says, we almost have an, an insatiable thirst for knowing things. But it also appears that most of our interest in knowing things is in order to control or reduce our distress and anxiety that comes largely not because we don't know things, check this out, but because we are not known. I'm gonna read that one more time. It appears that most of our interest in knowing these things is in order not to control and, or just to control and reduce our distress and anxiety that largely comes not because we don't know things, but because we ourselves are not known. He says it's interesting that we live in a world that for the last perhaps 300 years or so has largely been shaped by an ethos that encourages and invites independence, invites people to make their own choices without necessarily needing to be connected to other people. That tends to be very difficult, he goes on to say, and very different plausibility structure than the biblical one, which from the get-go addresses the world and says, let us make mankind in our image. Let them rule and have dominion over the earth. Let them live like us, essentially. God is saying to us, even in this very nature, you need community. Like I am created with a three-in-one community. I need you to know that you need this. But it's so interesting that I, I love that in the article that he points out kind of the flaw in the current ethos that we're living in right now, our world system, because it's a very conflicted message, isn't it? It's one of independence. It's one of you do you. You live out your own truth. Whatever is good for you. You be your own king or queen. You be your own God. You get to make what's right and wrong and but then it also, on the other hand, has this kindness movement behind it. And, and don't you dare offend anybody. And, and we need each other. We're, we're humankind. We're the human race. We're one race. It's interesting that it's such a conflicted message, isn't it? Because the word of God is not conflicted. I love this about God's word. It's so clear. In Genesis, after God has done creating all of these things, he's created the plants and the animals, and we got mountains and seas and deserts and valleys, and these beautiful things are being created. And God says those are good. Then he creates Adam, 
out of the dust of the ground, this beautiful picture of God handcrafting Adam, breathing in the breath of life into his lungs, and he comes alive, and he's a man. And God says, that's very good. But there's one thing in the garden that's not good. This is what I love, that the clear message of Scripture. He looks upon all of that, and he says there's one thing that's not good, and that's man is alone. The first thing you need to write down if you're taking notes today, it is not good for you to be alone. I'm not talking about your alone time with God or your personal development. Lord knows a mom needs some quiet time from the kids every once in a while. I get it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intentionally deciding that you're going to live a life isolated from people. This is an intentional living. I, I hear some people say this all the time, and I'm, I'm, I want to say this in love and respectful. I'm your pastor. I love you. I care about you. Some people will hide behind how they've been wired or their personality, and they'll say, I'm not a people person. That flies in the face of what God would tell you. That it's just not good for you to be alone. I get it. You might need people in doses. I understand that. Trust me, I get it. It's all right, you can be an introvert. I'm a high extrovert. That's probably no shock to anybody in the room. But I'm telling you, don't hide behind your wiring and miss out on the blessing of what God has for you in community. It would be such a tragedy to see that happen. That's the first thing you need to know. It's not good for you to be alone. God saw creation, it's really good, and Adam is really good. But some of you are like, whoa, wait, Josh, pump the brakes. Adam wasn't alone. He had all those animals. He's creating all of them. He's got God. I sometimes, I see this picture kind of play out in my head of Adam in the garden. And like that song, One is the Loneliest Number is playing. And he's like looking at all the animals. And they're like, they look really good with their mates, you know. And he's like, and then they're being fruitful and multiplying. I won't go into that, parents. I know there's kids in the room. But and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a partner. I don't, I don't have, it's amazing, right? We would see that. That, that. that flies in the face again of that argument that I don't need people. I don't need community. I'm good on my own. I know people like that. They've given up on church because they're like, I don't need any of those people. Me and God, we're good. Nope, that's not his idea. That's not his plan. In fact, he said, that's not good. You need community. You need people in your life. So we feel this crescendo of creation kind of happening that, that we see these animals and, and those are really good and the plants and, and the seas and the stars and it's all good and then Adam's really good and there's one thing not good that is he's alone and the crescendo of creation, Eve is made from Adam. In the Hebrew writing, carries an undertone that, that Eve was actually a beautiful mirror representation of who Adam was. Adam needed one of him, different Unique, but in community, to love, to serve, to do life with, to help rule and reign the garden. It, it wasn't enough just to have the animals and the plants and all the food resource you could want in the most beautiful place and God, communion with God. God said, no, 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 there's one thing that wasn't good. And that's a man would be alone. See, God has a plan for you. You are made for more. And I believe part of that more is community. You were made for it. But I want to reveal kind of a plan that the devil has as well. Because how many of you know there's always an equal and opposite reaction to what God wants to do from the enemy? And the enemy wants to do this. I want to kind of unmask one of his plans for you. His plan is always to isolate. Write that down. The devil's plan is always to isolate. Some of us know this feeling all too well. You miss a couple weeks of church. You miss a couple weeks of small group. 
those guys that you're meeting for breakfast, a couple weeks goes by and you're not meeting with them. Isn't it easier to skip the next meeting? Isn't it easier to make up some sort of excuse to miss church? Isn't it? It's fascinating to me that the devil is always trying to isolate. When is Jesus tempted? When he's alone in the wilderness. Shocker, right? No, no, no. The devil's very intentional. In fact, Jesus beats him in the, in the desert with the word of God, and it says the devil leaves until he finds another opportune time. He's an opportunist. He's looking for you to be isolated. He wants you to lean into that hurt and that bitterness and stay in that little bubble of yours and not break out of it. He wants you to isolate. I think it's interesting. Look at the apostle Peter. When does Peter deny Jesus? It's when he moves away from his community. Right, the disciples, this is about to happen. Jesus is, is captured. He's about to be tried, and, and the disciples kind of scatter. This is interesting. Peter's not necessarily alone, but he finds himself in the wrong community, which is kind of the same as being alone, because these people are not supporting him. They're actually calling him out. They're saying, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And, and the same Peter that just moments before was about to cut a Roman soldier's head off for Jesus, defend Jesus. He missed the head, by the way, and got the ear. And Jesus had to repair that and make everything right because Peter was always acting rash and dumb. Like, that's just who Peter was. That same Peter, moments before, in the right community, in the right context, around his tribe, around his people, bold Peter, defending his faith, ready to die for Jesus if need be, moments later, around the wrong community, is denying his Savior. That should rock us this morning. I don't know, Boyden, if you're hearing me over there, if you're hearing me in the room or at church at home, that should rock us. It is so vital that we stay connected to the right community. You see, because we don't act like ourselves when we're not in our community. Isn't it amazing that you, you start to distance yourself a little bit and then all of a sudden you're doing things that you never thought you would do. You used to bring one of your business buddies on a trip with you for accountability and that started to slip and then all of a sudden you find yourself in places that you never thought you'd go. Doing stuff behind closed doors you never thought you would do. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody this morning. You're isolating yourself. And that's where the devil wants to come and sneak in. Because we don't act like ourselves in community. This is why, because community protects us through accountability. That's not up on the screen, but I want you to write that down. If you're over at Boynton, write it down at church at home. Community protects us through accountability. Like I need people in my life to get into my face every once in a while. I need the people who are gonna point out the booger in my nose, if you will. You ever... You ever get home and there's just a cliffhanger there and you're like, how long has that been there? And why don't I have better friends? <laughs> come on, somebody at Boynton is like, good Lord, that happened this week. Like, come on, I'm, I'm making light of it, but I'm telling you, some of you got cliffhangers in your life. There's stuff that's happening that, that your community around you is starting to see and someone needs to speak up and call it out. Because community keeps you safe. 
I'll never forget this. Me and my wife, some of you guys know this. We were missionaries before we got into full-time ministry. We traveled with a, a group called Adventures and Missions, and we got to go all over the world with them. It was amazing. Um, God just radically changed our lives for the better. And one day we were in uh, Kenya, and uh, we had kind of an off day, which was great. We got to go kind of rest and relax, recharge. And uh, our contact decided that it would be great to bring us on a safari. And I'm like a super animal nerd, by the way. This is like a revealing moment of your pastor. Don't laugh at me. I wanted to be a zoologist when I was a kid, though, okay? Love animals, dude. I love them. I wanted to be the zookeeper. I wanted to be, the, hopefully not like getting eaten by any of the animals, but I wanted to be the guy like, you know, with the tigers in the cage. Like, that's who I wanted to be. Until I went on safari. <laughs> so we're driving through this beautiful reserve. And we saw that the, the caravan had kind of stopped and there was some commotion ahead of us. And over the radios, we start to hear lions, lions, or Simba. That's actually the, the Swahili word for, for lion. You hear Simba, Simba, and everyone starts freaking out. We're like, yes, Lion King, this is gonna be amazing. And so we pull up, and sure enough, there's a pride of lions. And I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a stone's throw, like from the front row. There's a lion, big old lion sitting there with his lady, they're sleeping. It's midday, though, and they don't do much during the day. So we pull like two or 300 yards ahead after we've kind of stayed and saw them, and they're not doing much. It actually, honestly, was a little lackluster. I didn't want to wake them up by any means. I didn't want to like stir up the pot or anything, but... We drive ahead, and our driver goes, okay, everybody out. It's a bathroom break. I'm like, hold on, time out. Like, there was lions back there, dude. And he, and he looked at me in, like, this beautiful, like, Kenyan accent. He goes, don't worry, Josh. He goes, just don't go alone anywhere. Like, don't wander off. And I'm like, wait, we're a couple hundred yards back that way. There's a lion. And he goes, there's safety in numbers. And I remember that caught me like, whoa, there is. There's safety in numbers. He goes, the lion is lazy during the day. He doesn't really want to mess with you. And, I, and I'll never forget that, that there's safety in numbers. How many of you know that there's safety and accountability in your community? Come on. There's safety in those numbers. I would, I would beg you today, don't isolate. Over at Boyden Church at home, in the room, do not isolate. And I know, I know it's hard. I know people have hurt you. I know that you're, that you're so broken from some of that. I know that you don't want to trust again. I know that you're angry. I know that, that, that there's been times where you've needed help and they've not been there. I get it. But you know the solution to those things as well is community. Hear, hear me out. When life gets hard, you get help from your friends. You reach out. You say, I need help. Uh, when you're hurting, you reach out for prayer and you get healing. Will you build trust again? Because faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. How do I do that? I have to be in community with people. They got to call me out. I got to be able to have those tough conversations. I got to learn to forgive and forgive again. And that all happens in the context of community. I get it. I get it. You're hurt. I understand. You want to isolate, but I'm telling you, don't isolate. The devil wants you to do that. And he begins to pick people off one by one. On that same safari, I loved watching zebras because there's strength in numbers. And a lion doesn't want to mess with a whole herd. He doesn't approach a whole herd. You know what he does? Is he tries to isolate and pick one off. They just veer away from the crowd a little bit. They veer away from their community a little bit. And the devil finds a Peter 
an opportune moment, and Peter denies his Savior. He becomes somebody who he's really not when he's outside of his community. I want you guys to write this down. This is my next point. Successful community happens when you commit to community. You got to commit to it. This has to be an intentional thing that we do. We have to be intentional with it. This just doesn't happen. And what I mean by this too is you got to find those people and then you actually have to invite them in. Invite them into your personal life. Invite them into who you are. I'm not telling you everybody. Everyone doesn't need to know your junk, but someone needs to know it. Not everybody. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. We're going to get painfully practical. But we need to remember that it's got to be intentional. I have to commit to it. What breaks my heart nowadays, it is so sad to me that so many people are throwing away community and relationships over the most petty things. Hear me loud and clear today. If you're letting pettiness pull you apart, you're allowing the devil to win. We're, we're allowing petty things. I'm telling you, you got to hear that. I want to challenge you a little bit. I want to encourage you as one of your pastors. I love you. Over at Boy, and if you're letting pettiness pull you apart, you're letting the devil win. You're letting the devil win. It's so sad, the controversy nowadays is just absolutely pulling people apart. I see friends that have been friends for years, decades, calling it quits. I see people not forgiving or not talking to family members because of who they voted for or a mask or not a mask or a vaccine or not a vaccine. It is petty, I'm telling you. We have to get over some of that. We have to move past it. We gotta be better than that. We're, we're acting like children on the playground that as soon as we're offended, we pick up our toys and go. We gotta grow up a little bit. Can you hear the words of the Apostle Paul loud and clear this morning? Let me read this over us. This is on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We gotta grow up a little bit as the community of God. We have to. And, and I'm not telling you one way or the other, I, I, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, that's on you. I, I, I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me. I love you and I want to live in community with you. We have this delusional idea that just because we disagree doesn't mean we love each other. What? Me and my wife disagree all the time and we really love each other. Not all the time. I don't want you guys to think we got some sort of bad marriage. She's a feisty Latina though, okay? Whew. She keeps me in line, trust me. What a silly idea, though. Just because I disagree with somebody means I don't love them. I couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, it's those moments of disagreement when we, when we push and grind against each other a little bit, and there's conflict and there's tension. Let me tell you something. Iron sharpens iron. That is not a joyful process all the time. You know how iron sharpens iron? It grinds against each other. There are sparks that fly. There's tensions to manage. There's problems to solve in those moments. But guess what? We get sharper. If I commit to the process, if I commit to community, I get sharper. If I don't bail out during the process, I'll just stay dull. If I bail out, I won't be as sharp as I could. I think it's interesting, too, that the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. It uses the same metal makeup that's gonna grow each other. Men, I think this is men with men, just building each other up, speaking our own language. Ladies, it's the same thing. 
with you. Find a lady who's going to build you up and sharpen you as a woman and make you better. Fellas, I'm telling you, this is so typical of men to isolate. I don't need it. I don't want it. Put me up in my tree stand. Leave me alone in the woods. And we're just like Adam, and God says it's not good. Ladies, maybe this is you. Maybe this is... I've just been hurt one too many times by that group of ladies or by the church or by whatever. I'm just going to isolate. And you notice that the devil comes and he just has a field day with that. Why? Because we need to commit to community. We cannot bail out on the process of what God has for us. We need to lean into the process, sharpen one another, build one another up. Are you with me, church? Come on. I'm gonna make this point, community is actually gonna grow us. And I, I wanted to say this, community also grows us up. God has an expectation on his people to grow up, to mature, to step into the fullness of who Jesus is. And I'm telling you, we see that realized in community. And I think Jesus knew this all too well. What did he tell the disciples? Come follow me. Come follow me. This is one of the most comforting things, I think, in all of Scripture. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is saying, come with me, get into relationship and community with me, and I'll make you who you need to be. I think that just brought some peace to somebody in this room, or maybe over at Boynton. God is saying to you, come follow me, get into a community of believers. Jesus said, I'm not going to do this thing alone. I need my people, and I love that he's gathering all sorts of people, all different backgrounds. He's got Matthew, a tax collector, a Jew stealing from a Jew. People would have thought, there's no way he would choose Matthew, and he chooses Matthew. Peter, who is probably a drunken fisherman, he, he finds Peter on the, on the shore of the sea, and he says, I'll use that guy. He'll get cleaned up, and he will be one of the people that I use to build my church. He's saying, I'm gathering a community together. And it might be a little bit of a misfit crew, but he says, those people will change the world. I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what would. Jesus says, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you who you need to be. Some of us are so concerned about that. We're trying to do anything that we can to to grow ourselves and we're, we're so worried about what we look like and, and what we sound like and, and am I advancing and am I doing this thing? And Jesus said, would you just follow me? Just follow me and I'll make you who you need to be. I'll make you fishers of men. Community will always grow us. My wife and I's story is, is <laughs> just bathed in community, to be honest with you. Like I'm so thankful and grateful for this house and the way that journey embraced me and my family. Uh, this February, we're going on six years on staff here. Like, it's just, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. I'll never forget coming down to this place. And I, I don't share this story a lot. And please just know my heart, I, I guess, as best you can. And hear my heart today. When, when we got the call to come down to journey and to interview, <laughs> again, don't judge your pastor, okay? Uh, me and my wife, we hadn't been in church for about 16 to 18 months. And I got, I got called, thank you, on the front row. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I don't tell people that a lot, so there it is. Because this was happening to us. We had been hurt. 
We had been disappointed. We had been let down. We had gone from church to church. We saw behind closed doors and what was said on the pulpit didn't match behind those doors. So we tried another place and we got hurt again. Time and time again. To the point where it wasn't like we didn't love Jesus, but we felt like Adam. We're like, God, we're just good with you and creation, I guess. Like we're good with plants and animals. They don't talk back. What ended up happening is we found ourselves so lonely, so isolated. And I remember coming home from work one day. I was actually out of ministry at this point. I was working in construction sales and working myself to the bone. I'd leave at 5.30 a.m. every morning. I'd come back at 9.30 at night. I'd barely see my kids. I was making more money than I'd ever made before. I mean, we were, we were like living large, but not enjoying it at all. I just knew that this wasn't what God had for us. And I, I fell to my face inside of our bedroom door. My wife's like, what's the matter? And I don't know if you've ever seen the scene in Dumb and Dumber when he just collapsed in the door and falls on his face. That's, that's how it was. I was just sobbing, ugly crying. I couldn't get a hold of myself. My wife's like, what's the matter? And I was like, babe, I just feel like God is calling us back into community, calling us back into church. And we're gonna surrender this thing to God and I'm gonna try to trust people again and I'm gonna believe that the church is the hope of the world and I'm gonna believe that, that people are, do sometimes have my best in mind and they're gonna love me and I'm gonna learn to trust again and forgive and forgive again. And I'm like, man, I think God's calling us back into ministry. Two days later, I'm not even kidding you, the call for journey happened. Two days later. And I... And I'm telling you what, I am so glad we have never looked back. I'm not saying that it's been the easiest ride, but, but that wasn't promised to us, was it? Because community can be messy. But, but it's when I, I learned to lean into that and decide to be vulnerable and open with people. And I learned to trust again. And when I get hurt, I want to be quick to forgive. And I don't want to let the sun go down on my anger. By the way, that's not just for married couples. That's for believers. That's not just for married couples. We've used that so often in that context. It's for believers. The Bible says if you would come into worship with something against your brother or they have something against you, God says, I don't even want to hear your worship. Go make it right with them first. God cares more about your relationships with people than his worship. That's fascinating. You gotta grab a hold of that today. Why is that true? Because we can't have community without unity. We can't have community without unity. I wanna set the scene for you in John 17. This is Jesus's, it's known as the high priestly prayer. One of Jesus' last recorded prayers to the Father before he goes to the cross. This is moments before he is betrayed and captured. And Jesus decides to pause for a moment in a garden, which I think it's a beautiful imagery of how we fell in the garden, but he's restoring us in another garden. In a garden, he's kneeling and praying. The Bible says that there's so much agony in his heart and in his soul, he's literally sweating drops of blood. I'm sweating a lot right now, but it's not drops of blood. I'm telling you, there was a serious agony that our Savior had in that moment. Crying out for us. 
And here's what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. He's referring to his believers currently, but he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. If we get this thing called community right, guess what it does? It paints a beautiful picture of who God is and what he's done. And then as we do this thing right together, Jesus says, man, I just want them to be one because the world around them would know and believe that you've sent me. By the way that we interact, and some of you have seen this reality to be true, you have invited people into a healthy community and they've noticed something different and their life has been changed. Maybe that's your story. Maybe it's your story over at Boynton or a church at home. You've been invited into community. You were a hot mess before and people embraced you. They didn't care about the mess. They didn't care. They just loved you and they kept loving you and kept loving you and didn't give up and they committed to community. They were intentional about it. They called out the booger in the nose every once in a while. They were dedicated to you. They wanted to see you grow. They were committed to your growth. And all of a sudden you look back years from then and you notice how much you've changed. I'm not who I was. Why? Because you were in the right community. You're being grown and shaped. Your iron was sharpening iron. You look different. You think different. You put away childish thinking and, and the old ways of who you were and you're being transformed in community. I love this. If that didn't convince you, Psalms 133. I just want the word of God. It's not returning void this morning. I want to read this over you. It says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's so good. It's so pleasing to the heart of our father. He says this, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. What that imagery was is God's favor, his blessing, his anointing. God says, I, I, in that place, I want to just pour out the oil of my blessing over Aaron. It was this idea of being set apart. Oil was so significant, even in Scripture, of the Holy Spirit, of empowerment. He's like, there's something so special, so good and so pleasant when my people come together. He says, it's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. There's refreshment that's going to come to the people and the places around you when you do this thing right. And he says, for there, in that place, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Church, how do, how do we do this thing then? How do we do this thing called community? I mean, we've, we've given you guys opportunity to jump into a small group. We, we probably push that obnoxiously here, but just because we believe so much in the power of what it is. All our staff were involved or lead groups. Like that's part of our culture and our DNA here at Journey because we just believe in it so much because we've been changed in those groups. I'm telling you, I've led a freedom group for like three or four times now. As a pastor, I get rocked every single time. 
Every single time I show up to Freedom Conference, I'm rocked again and again. Those guys that started as strangers leave that 10, 12, 13 weeks as brothers. And I'm telling you, it's an amazing process to see. We want that so badly for you. But you gotta fight against that urge to isolate. You're gonna have to learn to trust again. I know it's hard. I'm not saying that it's easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus modeled this in such a beautiful way. I love this. This is a, a really practical thing kind of for us to pursue. His community looked like this. Find your three. Find your three. Write that down. Look to your neighbor. Tell them, find your three. Come on. Find your three. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. These were his boys. This was the inner circle. This was his crew. They had matching jean jackets and whatever, something like that. Like they were, they were ready. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Jim Gaffigan. He's like, we got to, can we do leather jackets with, they say like the apostles? I don't know. That was, I just imagine that to be true. Peter, James, and John, they were always like his, his boys. But then Jesus had his 12. You got to find your 12. When you find your three, those are the people that you are letting in. I mean, these are the people that you share the intimate stuff with. You don't necessarily need to share outside of this circle super intimate details. But like I said, not everyone needs to know, but somebody needs to know. This is your three. Married couples, if you're in the room, your spouse better be in this circle of three, okay? If not, we got some issues. We can talk later. I'm telling you, be open and real with your spouse. Be honest and authentic in that relationship speak speak the difficult things sometimes but speak them in love then you find your 12 this is what we would define probably as a small group this makes sense it's people who are committed to growth this is a season of life that you've decided to do with these people there's diversity in that group. There might be different ages, the different colors of hair or no hair. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, you want a little bit of gray hair in that, in that room because there's wisdom there. I love my, my freedom groups have been so diverse. We've had like 18-year-olds in there with like 60, 70-year-olds. And to watch those older men pour into those younger men is one of the best things I've ever seen. Hey, don't do the same things that I did. Learn from my mistakes. Let me help lead you, guide you. Let me relate to you. Oh, you've had marital problems? We've been in this thing for 30 years. Guess what? That's normal, but you can get through it. You need someone to speak that life into you, to breathe that into you, to give you hope. I'm telling you, you need it. All right, I'm sweating a lot. I gotta get out of here, okay? Jesus had his three. He had his 12. This is a group of people that he decided to do life with. He committed to. <laughs> Pastor Kevin reminded me of this before I came out. Even one of those guys betrayed him, okay? It just happens sometimes. But our Jesus, while he's hanging on a cross, looks at the people who had crucified him and he says, Father, forgive them. I submit to you today, when you're forgiving people continually, you're never more like your Savior than when you're forgiving people. It's a beautiful thing. Healing comes to our heart and our soul when we do, when we decide to push through that. Then he had the 72. So he had his three, he had his 12, and he had his 72. 
The 72 were this outer circle of influence. These are the people that he was working with, doing life within the community. He knew that he could influence and change, and then that change would multiply itself into the world. So here's what I want to ask you today. Who's your three? Who's your 12? And where's your 72? Who are you serving? Who are you loving? Who are you letting into that inner circle? Who knows some stuff about you that no one else does? Who's your 12? Who are you going to commit to do life with? And this isn't just like intentional like Bible studies. This is partying too. This is having a great time and barbecuing. I hope some of your 12 are at your house tomorrow on Labor Day enjoying each other. I think sometimes we feel like Jesus was like a stick in the mud. He wasn't. He was the life of the party. So much so that he shows up for his first miracle. And when they ran out of wine, he decided to make more wine at a wedding. That's a cool savior. I'll follow that guy. I'll tell you that much. Life of the party though. People wanted to be around him. And Jesus wanted to be around people. He found his three, found his 12, found his 72. And that ripple effect would go in and change the world. And I wonder, I look at through this crowd and I'm over at Boy in a church at home. I wonder what God could do with this many people if we committed to each other. If we didn't allow the pettiness to pull us apart. And we leaned into this thing called community into this next season and showed the world what it would look like. Jesus said if they got that right, the world around them would see and know that they are from me. Can I pray for us? Would you bow your heads in this room and over at Boynton Church at home? I just want to pray that God would give us the boldness today to take the next step of what he's calling us to do. Jesus, I, I don't know every circumstance or situation in this room, but you do. You know every heart. You know the ones in this room that are longing for this, that have been isolated for too long. God, you know the person in the room that's been hurt and wounded by community and feels like they can't trust. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would do a work of healing in their heart, deep within their soul. God, and allow them to give this thing another chance so that they would not give up on your church because your church is a community. It is a body. And Lord, we might be dysfunctional every once in a while, but I'm telling you, if we get this thing right, we can model what it looks like to the world, that we've been sent by you, that we are from a different kingdom. Jesus, and I believe that if we got this right, it would change the world around us. Our families would change. Our offices, the environments that we're in, the people that we work with, our children would see it. And Father, you would transform our lives and the world around us. Lord, would you give us the boldness to take the next step? We pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Love you, church. Thank you, guys.